Sailor Moon has been an anime that many, many fans have recalled from their childhood. For those who either grew up in the 90s era when it aired on Toonami, let alone when they got a remake of Sailor Moon Crystal. Whichever one you prefer to enjoy the series, whether it be the original, the manga, or the remake, the anime ori original just recently celebrated its 31st anniversary, and not too long ago, it there was an announcement about the remake for Sailor Moon Cosmos that is aired to come out today. And, not to mention, today is Usagi's birthday! I could argue that it still reigns as one of, if not the best magical girl anime series ever created, at least from my standpoint. But if it looks familiar to fans who remember the series from way back when it aired on Cartoon Network and it was dubbed by Deke, and only aired seasons 1 through 4. If you think you're just a fan of this, of the series just from that alone, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm not gonna go on and say things like, this is the greatest Magical Girl series in the universe and nothing can change it otherwise, or any smart remarks of that nature, but I'm unsure if me rambling about this would make me feel like an absolute nerd by me recording an episode dedicating it to Sailor Moon. But I can understand why I wanted to do this for such a while now. It's a masterpiece in itself. What's more to say? Well, I could think about 10, maybe 6 good reasons why. There's a lot to praise and discuss in this series alone. While I want to discuss the series as a whole, that alone would take a nearly a few hours to record making it into a multi-series complete. So, I decided to focus on the main aspect of, the, of Sailor Moon itself, the characters. But that alone would take, would be a bit of a broad subject, so I narrowed it down to the main ten. But that didn't come for me, so I decided to make some cuts to that, and decided to stick with the main six. That being Sailor Moon, Sailor Mercury, Sailor Mars, Sailor Venus, Sailor Jupiter, and Sailor Chibi Moon. So in narrowing it down to the main six of the series, I went along with that challenge and we'll see how this will go. Now bear in mind, for those who have stumbled upon this episode of the Nerd Fix and have not seen Sailor Moon before, let me be the first to say, I am so sorry you poor unfortunate soul. And be warned, I will be spoiling Sailor Moon plus Sailor Moon Crystal a lot here. Matter of fact, this whole episode is mainly going to be more or less just a revision of the whole story from start to finish. My reason for doing this, besides being the excuse to talk about Sailor Moon for more than an hour or so, is the vast majority who grew up watching this series have only watched the original series from season 1 through 4, while a huge majority of fans have seen all five and read the entire manga. I felt that if people knew what this show is, they might begin to understand why it's so magical and majority of anime fans often recommend it to others who want to start getting into anime. And Sailor Moon is one of the top recommendations in an anime starter pack for newbies, so to speak. But as I mentioned, a vast majority of anime fans often recommend it and would be convinced to watch it. Now, this anime itself, when it comes to Sailor Moon being a an instant classic, it's full of laughs, it's cute, it's intellectual, it's compelling, and it gets people to cry many, many times. Me being one of them. I mean, come on, it is all those things rolled into one. 
But with all of this set aside, I wanted to make an episode of the Nerd Fix focusing on Sailor Moon that would have convinced myself when I was a child to re-watch this to relive my childhood days and relive the magic of what got me into becoming a fan of the series itself. But now that we're about to dive into this episode, the big question is, which one do I talk about first? Now, I love all of the characters from Sailor Moon so much, mainly from the main six, and it was a bit difficult to try to figure out who to talk about. I decided, I thought about going in alphabetical order, but that didn't work. Then I thought about going in based on the appearance from the anime on the manga, but that didn't work as well. So I decided to chalk it down to believing what would it be like if the girls were to run a short distant race. And this race is to see which of the six would finish in this race. That is theoretical. And also, please note that this is just something that was just chalked up in based on their abilities alone. So. I don't want to hear any kind of negative comments about why they are in this certain place order as this is just basically how this was um, chalked up to be based from my uh, standpoint. However, I can't think of anyone who would finish in first place but the amazing Makoto Kino. So with this episode of the Nerd Fix, let's get started with 6 reasons to watch Sailor Moon. And as mentioned, first place in this race would go to Makoto Kino. When I first saw Sailor Moon as a kid, Mako first came off to me as the Green Sailor Guardian, and as I mentioned with this episode of the Nerfix, this is going to be a little bit of an analysis kind of episode with each of the characters, so get ready because this is going to be a bit of a long one, so I hope you're ready. When Maku was first introduced to the series, she was introduced as a transfer student from another junior high school she attended, because the last one she attended, she was kicked out of due to being bullied a lot, but the reason why she was kicked out was due to getting into a lot of fights. Because of her hair, height, strength, and tomboyish personality, many people were intimidated by Mako and thought she was a bully. And people would often avoid her and she had a hard time making friends, besides her ex-boyfriend, whom, in the running gag in this series, she still would carry a torch for, and anytime she would fall for boys who would sweep her off her feet, she would say something on the lines of, it reminds me of my last love. Something along the lines of that, which I can't help but to giggle over because it's just something that it is some really both adorable but also kind of hilarious when it comes to Mako. Now, with the fights that she would get into, the reason she would get in into them is due to protecting others. An example of this would be fighting a group of boys who were picking on Ami when they accused her of cheating to get good grades, 
Or if someone made the mistake of trying to take on Mako in a fight to prove that they were stronger than her. However, the bullying began to diminish when Isagi became friends with her in episode 25, breaking down the stereotypes surrounding her at her new school by the time she was introduced into the series. But not only is she a badass tomboy, she's also a Sailor Guardian, which gives off the whole kind of Ryuka Matoi type of aesthetic, where she is a really awesome tomboy, but also has a kind of a, sort, a slight revealing outfit whenever she's fighting bad guys. Not to mention, she's, she's the strongest one of the Guardians. She's the physically the strongest member of the team, being the muscle of the group, both in and out of costume thanks to her supernatural strength. One perfect example of this is out of costume is in the episode paired with a monster, Mako the Ice Skating Queen, where she shows off her impressive ice skating skills coupled with her strength, able to lift the male figure skater over her head with ease while skating around the ice rink proving both she he is powerful and graceful. That alone just shows how amazing Mako truly is as a character. Now, with being the strongest guardian of the group, it gives out the whole sense of reliability and responsibility for how Mako is, but it's the type of person she is. This is due to how independent she is from having to care for herself most of the time since she lives on her own. Now you're probably thinking, how is it that someone like her is so responsible and independent for her age? Where are her parents who can help her out? Well, it's not an easy way to put it into simple words, but Mako's parents are dead. And the, re the reason behind this is revealed in a three manga short series known as Exam Battle, which acted more as a side story for Sailor Moon. Each chapter his feet features a different Sailor Guardian taking place at some point during the final year in middle school. The first chapter focused on Ma Mako, the second focused on Ami, and the final chapter focused on Minako and Rei. However, of the three, Ami's became an episode. Which, I really did love that episode as it was really enchanting to watch. In Ma Go's side story, Exam Battle 1, Mako-chan's depression, it's revealed that she lost her parents in a plane crash, and as a result, she has an extreme fear of flying. Although, in, and while it has been mentioned too, it's been theorized that she's able to live on her own with, without her parents due to a sizable inheritance she received from them after their passing. In the anime, She's shown to be uneasy when airplanes are around, but this fear be was somewhat diminished when she was able to get on a plane in episode 188, an invitation to terror Usagi's night flight, without any problem. I don't know how that is the case, but at least she was able to conquer her fear. Hooray! But that still doesn't make sense. But and in the not as much as the deep English dub where they didn't really do the best job with trying to cover up the tragic backstory of her parents by just saying that her mother is allergic to cats. Yeah, that really isn't the best way to cover that up. 
but in the manga Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, Mako's parents' death is mentioned in the flashback during Act 6, but it's not mentioned how they died. Though, in all honesty, of the deaths that were mentioned from either one of them, I would much rather prefer the one that is for example out of one Mako-chan's depression, because at least it shows a little bit of what happened to her parents that it now shows of why, of why she has a fear of planes, one, and two, it shows how she was able to live on her own, why she lives on her own, and why she takes care of herself. And from, from this, despite her dreams being on, on halt due to her parents' death, I love how she doesn't let any of that affect her, nor lets any of those around her feel concerned for her. She doesn't need anyone to feel sorry for her. She's a go-getter who can handle her own problems while helping others with their problems and make it all work. One other thing that can be mentioned that I've always admired about Makoto is her qualities and characteristics about her character. Being an athletic, being an amazing chef, and regardless of it, I love how it never gets in the way of her femininity. She can go from wearing a tomboy outfit to wearing a nice formal gown, and is one of the many characters in anime who is able to break the walls of a typical of typical gender norms. And honestly, with her outfits she wears as Sailor Jupiter, she rocks it. Now, with regarding to their dreams, Mako has a lot of dreams, and she doesn't really share them a lot with many people. In, in Act 42 of the manga, Dream 4, Jupiter Dream, it was revealed that while having team with Hawkseye, Mako confessed she wanted to own her own florist or cake shop, combining her love of gardening and cooking. And after their encounter, she thinks about her dreams because after the death of her parents when she was when she was just a child, she wanted to get married at a young age and build a home with with her true love. And even wanted a family one day, but that was all taken away from her when she was only just a child. Which is really tragic for her that something that she had wanted for so long was just taken abruptly from her. And it does seem tragic. But I love how she still has the strength to be able to hold that to where she can still accomplish it. Which is another thing that I have always admired when it comes to Makoto. Now, regarding to romance, you would think that she would have eyes on anyone since her last love and have broken her heart. But do you think wrong? She definitely has had feelings for someone. She harbored a long-time crush on Motoki, and if you don't know who Motoki is, he's the guy who, who is at the arcade that the girls frequent a lot, and is one of Mamoru's friends. Now, in Sailor Moon Crystal, she was heartbroken when she met Motoki's girlfriend, but in the live-action Brady Guardian Sailor Moon, it was a little bit different. After Usagi and Mamoru got married, Toki and Makoto decided to get married and tie the knot as well. So, even though things didn't play out in Sailor Moon Crystal, things did play out in a live action, so at least there was a happy ending for the two. 
while when rewatching it, Makoto has been someone I've, I've been looking up to when I was a kid. Due to how she's someone that just because you're a girl, you can do things that, that boys can do, if not better. And Mako does a great job of that, especially seeing her fight. Her skills in cooking, sewing, skating, floristry, and being a role model for Chibiusa. In my eyes, Mako can easily fit her role as being both a prince and a princess. And while her pain from her past made, does make her stronger, it's what made her into the soldier that she not only is for her friends, but also for herself. Let's look at the results. Now, with second place and coming in this race, I would have to say that second place, I would definitely give this to Minako Aino. Now, care to explain this to me? How would you explain introducing the final member to the group in season one after over 36 episodes, but are still able to make her so amazing that she is just too perfect. Then again, she did make her debut as Sailor V in episode 1, so that kind of makes sense. Now, when she was introduced to the series, she's a transfer student from England who is also a Sailor Guardian who was on the quest to obtain Silver Crystals and find Moon Princess, joining the other Guardians. And what I love about the series is how we're first introduced to her under the guise of her hero identity Zero V, a crime-fighting heroine who fights the evildoers of the Dark Agency with the aid of police. Now, while, while she is the last one to join the group, she does have a bit of where she does clash with them at one point, but it doesn't take too long where she does get along with them pretty quickly. Now, even though she does have some chemistry with them, she does tend to be vain even when she least expects it, which is one flaw of hers that she does carry out many, many times. An example of her vain personality is when she tries to donate blood for a good cause, trying to prove that she's pure-hearted, but even that doesn't show that she's pure-hearted, as there can only be one pure-hearted princess. In addition with her vain personality, Minako is over the top with this, especially when it comes to talking about how much boys are into her. Going through dramatic moments of lamenting how beautiful she is, talking about how it's a curse and it should be illegal to be so beautiful, in a way kind of gives off vibes that make you think of Boa Hancock in a way. I don't know, but it kind of does. But it also reminds me of a different character who we're going to talk about later, but we're not going to talk about them right now. We're only going to talk about Minako. However, one cool factor I could throw in to score some brownie points for Minako is out of all of the girls, Minako was the first to awaken 
which would make you wonder, why is she the first to be reborn if the series is called Sailor Moon and not Sailor Venus? It's simple. Sailor Venus is the true leader of the Guardians, and as the leader, it's her responsibility to take care of the others and have the experience necessary to deal with any threat. She awoke a full year before the rest of the Inners at the age of 13 and trained as Sailor B. And once she had enough experience, she regained her memories in her past life and became Sailor Venus. Afterwards, she and Artemis began to watch over the other girls. And with all the experience she had gained from her past life and as Sailor Venus, and once she has joined the gar other Guardians, we're able to see to see a true of true colors and also the true person of an awesome character that Minako is. And we sit to see that she is one of the most charming members of the group. She is so friendly, energetic, and goofy. She fits insanely well with them. And when I was rewatching the series, I personally felt like Takauchi and the writers of the anime first took a personality trait from each of the girls and gave them to Minako. And I kid you not when I think, say this, she's 50% Usagi, 20% Rei, 15% Ami, and 15% Mako. Like Usagi, she's a horrible test taker, she's a klutz, she's boy crazy, she's sometimes pro is a bit of a procrastinator, and loves to play video games. These two can practically be sisters, which kind of makes sense as in their past lives when Usagi wants to sneak as when in the past lives whenever a princess princess serenity wanted to sneak out she would have she would have sailor she would have sailor venus a, a substitute for her so that way she'd be able to leave the palace whenever she wanted to and like ami she's intelligent but only when it's necessary in one episode in episode 108 she was able to speak in fluent English in the Japanese dub. While the, while for Mako-chan, I couldn't help but to laugh over when she was trying to introduce herself. The first thing she said was, Thank you! I couldn't help but to laugh over that. And speaking of Mako, Minako is athletic just like her. And like Rei, she has a strong warrior complex similar to hers which allows her to have a sense of chemistry with each of them, along with her own individual qualities. And along with this, Minako is hi highly forward-thinking and strong in her convictions towards anything she's after, which makes her a very, a very fascinating character on her own, and hence why she's also someone that, be that the other members of of the Guardians would often look to as her leader as well. And you would think with someone like Minako, who has her whole life ahead of her, with how forward-thinking she is, there is much more to her backstory that I don't think some members, some Sailor Moon fans would know about her. There's a few episodes that were cut from the series that, that chronicled Minako when she awoke at Sarah Venus of her time in London, and much more. There was one episode that f that showcased her first appearance as Sarah Venus and explored her background. In one episode titled Sailor Venus Past, Minako's Tragic Love. Though it wasn't dubbed by Deke, 
It was later later dubbed by Viz. It wasn't clear why, but Minako lived in England for a while as a teenager in the 90s anime, and she worked against the e against evil as Zero V. And it's stated, th and it's also stated in the manga she's been to both China and Greece by the time she meets the she meets the others. And though it's not been speculated or been clear of what, why the reason why she, she's been in, in England, many fans have speculated that the reason she was in England was due to her father's job. And some have said that he was there because of her father's job requires them to travel for work. And it could be assumed that they moved there temporarily to the England because of it. And it is unclear of if been likely that she had learned English for a short period of time while there. Now, during this episode, this happened approximately half a year ago when she was in London. There, she meets an Interpol office her by the name of Katarina, who was one of the few people she revealed her identity of Sierra Venus to. Katarina and Minako struck up a friendship, and Katarina was like an older sister figure to her, teaching her English and helping her fight common criminals and Dark Kingdom agents, agents by her side. In the guise of Sailor V, she also became world-famous superhero and gained the love, and love of the media and made dolls, movies, and video games about her. And even while she was gaining popularity, she was distrusted by police and made, and was often being made to look like idiots due to her abilities. And one day, she met a man who she fell in love with by the name of Alan. But unfortunately for her, she met, introduced him to Katarina, and they began to fall in love, which she without her noticing. But one day, Sailor V and Katarina were apprehending a criminal who was holed up in a warehouse. She went in to apprehend him, but as he but he threw a firebomb at her feet, leveling the warehouse, and Katarina, believing her to be dead from the explosion, fell into his arms. And while she did manage to get out, beaten up but survive, she sees that the two were actually in love. And though she was heartbroken by this, she walks away, allowing them to believe she that she had passed on, and returns back to Japan. Now, this alone could be the end of where she sees Katarina again, but this isn't where it ends. She meets Katarina again, but the Dark Kingdom General Kunzite discovers the agent's connection to Sailor V and uses the wicked energy to turn her to pry any information about, about Minako. And when unable to do so, she changes Kunzite changes her into into a demon and tries to kill Minako. Fortunately, she was saved by, by Usagi. And Katarina reveals the past to her. And when she tries to attack again, Zervinus reveals 
leaves the Lost Sailor Moon kill her, and begging her to to heal her instead. And thus, Sailor Moon was able to hit to heal Katarina, and the two friends were reunited once more. And after this, Minako was finally able to have the courage and strength to be able to let go of her feelings for Alan. And after after the fight, she does die, to, and she fought alongside the others against Dark Kingdom's base at Deep Point, and she died to save the Sailor Moon's life. And when Sailor Moon used the Silver Crystal to defeat Queen Beryl and restore herself and the others in Tuxedo, Tuxedo Mask's life, they did this to restore all the memory of the Dark Kingdom, and she was able to resume her life as a normal girl, teenage girl without her powers for just two months. Now, this alone was a bit of a roller coaster of a ride there, but really does show of what Minako went through and what she had to accomplish just for her to move on. Though, I do believe that one day she would find the one, but in one interesting note, in the Sailor V manga, it shows that there was one last foe that she did face from the Dark Kingdom. That was Damborite, who, as after he was defeated, he did place a curse on her that she would never find true love. Though, it does make me wonder, would she ever find true love? Who knows? Maybe one day she will. But... I don't know if it would be the case that she, if she will or not, but I do believe one day she will, and she might be able to break the curse. But only time will tell. But for now, with her and where she is heading, with her dreams of becoming idle, she'll be able to find that special someone one day, after she, she obtains her dream. Coming in at third place is the marvelous Rei Hino, who I will admit when I was growing up, she should have gotten the title of the show. Yeah, I will admit when I was growing up as a little kid, she should have gotten the title and the show should have been called Sailor Mars and or Sailor Venus. And honestly, who can blame her? She's perfect. When I was first introduced to Rey in the series as a child, she gave out the vibe that would make you want to hate her, but once you start to get to know her character more, you start to let your guard down a bit when you realize how awesome of a person she truly is. One thing that the series pulled off for me was how they got me to fall for Rey in spite of her antagonistic aspects she displays. You expect her to be a bitchy, unlikable know-it-all who always criticizes her friends whenever they don't take their roles seriously or shows them tough love, but they do tolerate her and actually love her so much, not only making her likable to other characters, but generally charming and amazing where she deserves the attention despite the negative qualities she's coupled with. 
which is weird because she does give off those vibes when you least expect it but all of that is grounded into brutal honesty and kindness basically the type of friend who is basically honest with you and isn't afraid to basically tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not and it's something i believe some fans of sailor moon seem to miss when it comes to Rei's personality, especially towards her interaction with Usagi. Now, with Rei and Usagi, the two of them argue comparably to that of a married couple. They clash many times due to their opposite personalities, and it can often cause conflicts between the two. They, they often argue constantly to the point where Usagi would end up crying, and Rei, 9 times out of 10, would not apologize for her actions which shows her stubborn personality and how she views herself as being in the right on certain things she is able to point out with others whether they want to hear it or not. Though there was one episode in season 1 where Rei and Usagi got trapped in the snow and they did, and the two did have a nice moment together over Tuxedo Mask aka Mamoru and we did see the two do get along on some emotional level, showing how close the two are as friends. But most of the time, they do go at each other's necks, mainly due to Rei's fiery and stubborn nature. I don't want to call Rei stubborn, though when looking and analyzing her character a bit more, she does portray those qualities quite often. Seriously, how can you hate a girl who not only tears down at someone, but raises them up with kindness and support in the end? There was Eve and, and shown when Rei had a hard time showing respect to Usagi being the leader of the Guardians, though didn't take long for Usagi to gain that respect soon after. Though of, of the girls, Rei is the one of the more responsible ones with her duties and responsibilities she holds. Even with her responsibilities of her being in her dreams of becoming a Shrine Priestess one day, because she is a maiden, she is a Miko at the Hikawa Shrine. But not only is she talented in skills such as exorcisms, archery, songwriting, and also singing, but because of her responsibilities as a shrine maiden, Rei's maturity is accelerated. She doesn't act like a teenager most of the time. It's all work and little play. In a worry, she's almost like a workaholic, but not on the same level like Ami with her dreams of becoming a doctor one day. This would explain why she's one of the more level-headed members of the squad when coming up with tactics and support with other Sailor Guardians. Now, for the experience of one to become a Shrine Priestess or Priest, it requires serious discipline, patience, focus, and hard work. Not just to do the job, but to keep up with the tradition and to protect something that is sacred. Doing what Rey does isn't easy, and she's fortunate enough to have her grandfather assist her on her path to become a Shrine Priestess, despite what He's known to do in both the anime and manga, which I'll get to a little later. Though, Rei still has to put a lot of effort in order for her to, put, get, to obtain the dream. The craft has to be, to be sharpened and improved, or you'll fall behind. Going down a spiritual path isn't all too easy, and just because you were able to complete one task to become closer to the dream doesn't mean that the next one will be easier than the last. You have to keep perfecting your skills many times until you've mastered it to the point of perfection that it becomes second nature. To keep in this cycle for a couple of years before we Rey, her personality fits. She's no-nonsense, habitually polite, and takes advantage of any exploit possible. 
Of course, she's stubborn. She's a maiden. And keep in mind that just because you're labeled as stubborn doesn't mean it's a bad thing. With Rey being one who doesn't want to have a lover or be with someone who would hurt her, it's understandable. Kinda gives you the Boa Hancock vibe, so to speak. But not like Minako with her and being beautiful. But there's more to it when you dive deeper into it. In the original Sailor Moon manga, Rei had no interest in dating. Though some would believe she hates all for all romance and she once fell in love. In the side story Casablanca Memory, we learn about Rei's troubled past. And it's learned that her mother Risa was sick in the hospital and due to her father Takashi being a man of power and politics, he wasn't around as much and was more focused on his position of power than of his ailing wife. And when his wife passed away, it left a sour taste in Ray's mouth and her view on men from that day forward. And while she had a dislike for her father, she did become close to his secretary by the name of Kaido. And not the Kaido from One Piece. Get your minds out of the gutter, you and your extreme height difference, people. Come on now. Anyways, while she was growing up, Kaido was the only man who cared for her. She developed feelings for him, and but her world came crumbling down when she, he discovered he had a fiancé who was the daughter of another politician. Kaido led Rei to believe that he was only engaged for political reasons, but this was a lie which Rei called him out on. But if politics were in play, her father would have enraged for them to be, to be married. The two separated on good terms, but never saw each other again. While this was kind of sad that she did have one love, but things just decided to go with the two going their separate ways. But... Things were just a little bit different for the anime version of Rei when it comes to love. Rei shows her being one who loves romance and wants a boyfriend, but the manga version of her makes her dislike of her father and boys very clear. And she has a low opinion of men as to come to boot. Her thoughts are based on how she sees men in her life. Her grandfather as well as I mentioned before, hits on all the young girls who would visit the shrine. And in the anime, his harassment is so bad, the women are too afraid to visit, eventually causing him to consider a different career path. And if such of the poor male role models in her life, you'd wonder why the manga version of Rei doesn't want to deal with boys to begin with. Another thing I wanted to bring up is the difference between Rei in the anime and Rei in the manga, is how they're portrayed. In the manga, Rei is reserved, quiet, and classy, but in the anime, she's obsessed with getting a boyfriend and loves pop culture. And it's rumored that the, that the director for the original series, Kunihiko Ukehara, was the one who caused, was the one who caused the changes. And it focused more on building friendship between the inner soldiers. And while it was trying to make it more entertaining for younger viewers, Rei, who was shown to be much more crueler in the anime, and would often at times strike Usagi, and 
would compete with her for Mamoru's affections or tease the other, the other soldiers. And with the, the changes to this, the creator of the series, Naoko Takeuchi, even expressed it, expressed her feelings on the changes, saying that she disliked how Rei was portrayed in, in some scenes, and even with her interaction with Usagi. And me personally, I never even liked how Rei would often interact with Usagi, as I much rather prefer the manga version of her, as she is much, much more reserved and classy than I would prefer the anime version of her. Because when re, when reading the, the manga of Sailor Moon, I really, really love the, the manga version of her, of how she is so classy and refined, that. I'd much rather prefer that over the anime version of her, but that's just me personally. When looking over Rei, while many young girls want a boyfriend, Rei is no different in the anime. The manga, Rei has no difference in getting a boyfriend, and is even confused on why the group, Masai Sasaki, wants a boyfriend so badly. Even in realizing that protecting the Earth and her friends is more important than a relationship, which I can give kudos to for her. Her feelings on the matter are so strong, and she even in the past life vowed out, made a vow of chastity to Princess Serenity. And in the manga, she states several times she doesn't need men uh, and has no interest in boys. And Usagi doesn't want doesn't want or need a boy and it says that Usagi doesn't need a want a boyfriend and, and she's fulfilled by her friends and responsibilities as a priestess and duties and also has her duties as Sailor Mars which is what I think is what makes her a very very important person not only in herself but also as for Rey in herself It was a rough one, and it was pretty tricky to pick this one here, and yeah, with coming in fourth place, yeah, this one, I'm gonna give it the Chibiusa. Yep, we're gonna talk about the kid. Kinda nuts, isn't it? Alright, now take a step back, close your eyes, and think for a minute. How many children characters from any franchise can you think of that aren't seen as plot devices, cuteness factors, or just cameos? I mean, there is a good handful, though I can't say for certain. There is a good handful. It's hard to make a child character in a series that is either distinctive, unique, or stands out against the main characters of the series because in many scenarios, children characters are pretty hard to come by that are very, very, very unique in a sense. Because in very scenarios, children characters usually act the same. They're adorable, they're innocent, 
and they can be brats. They think they know everything. They often get into trouble. And let's face it, if your child character has a fully developed brain, can you call him a child at this point? Now, it can be risky if you center a show entirely around a child. Because if it's done poorly, it can't get tedious and obnoxious real quickly. There's a good handful of anime that do center around children, but they do it so authentically. Not only does that allow the audience to connect with the character, but allow them to see life through their eyes, whether it be through their accomplishments, their failures, or tackling dark elements that not many shows in the West are able to tackle perfectly. An anime that do a good job of that are ones that, such as Tizen Master Takaka-san, Kotaro Lives Alone, and even Crayon Shin-chan, despite it being a show that does have its fair share in adult humor every now and then. An anime that do a good job of showing anime children being and acting like real-life children are ones such as Anna Forger, Kana Kobayashi, and even the children of School Babysitters. And if you haven't seen School Babysitters before, I highly recommend you check it out. It is super adorable. Now, I will admit that I love Season 1 of Sailor Moon, though I was taken aback a little bit of the idea of the girls having to look after a child being Chibi-Usa in Season 2. And it was just something that was just out of nowhere, mainly just a wrench thrown into their program with them collecting their silver crystal along with Search for the Moon Princess. Though, I basically had to, to hold my breath for a second with seeing how Chibi Uso was vital to the group of growing from a cute little mas a cute little mascot to actually being a key figure to the Guardians. Now, Sailor Moon R was a bit of a tumultuous season. Now. The way, why I say this is because I'm not saying that it's really bad or boring or really dull for any reason. It's good. I enjoy all the seasons of Sailor Moon, but season two, I was a bit of a rocky season overall. Because there were some things that I kind of had a bit of issues on. Because there was a series where the girls don't have their powers for two months after defeating Queen Beryl and her men. There is also some challenges that the girls also had to face as well. Mamoru breaks up with Usagi because of some dream he has, and it's not as, a, as eventful as, as season one. Although, there were some events that do take place in the series, and some of them that have occurred they were caused by Chibi-Usa. However, what saves her from the blame is how some of them are unintentional. Because, what else is there? She's a child. And then, what also is more fascinating about her is, when she first arrives in the series, Usagi and Mamoru were on a date, but she appears out of nowhere from the sky, traveling from the future to know more about about her mother, and also about the Guardians. But how she made her introduction to the series was really not the best. She actually gave a kiss to Mamoru, who I basically don't want to explain a little bit more about what that is, but I'm just going to drop the bomb right now. Uh, 
Eh. Yeah, that's just basically a little bit much, but Usagi and Mamoru are Jibi Usa's mom and dad. Yeah. Bet you didn't know that, so that kind of really does show a little bit of, uh, yeah, that's just a little bit out of nowhere. Kind of weird of how that happened out of nowhere. But what's even more messed up is when she introduced herself, she actually pointed a gun at Usagi. Which, again, I had no idea why she would do something like this on her first appearance, but again, this is basically how her first introduction goes. Though, one thing I can say about her character is how she, when she first arri arrives in the series, she herself is known as someone who doesn't really understand much about her character, and also why she was sent to, and also her mission of being sent to the past alone. Her reason for this is to know more about her about her, pa her mother's past, and with her identity alone, her her background with her life is a little bit upsetting when you get to know a little bit more about her. Her life in the in Crystal Tokyo, she was picked on a lot, mainly due to not being able to unlock her powers, and because of this. Her growth has basically been stunned, and she was bullied and picked on because of this. And she was always being constantly compared to her mother. And not only that, she her powers were never awakened, and they often would pick on her, being calling her a fake princess, and doubt if she was ever for her daughter. She was played with insecurity. And when she travels to the past, she's met with a very different version of her mother, who is off, who was a klutz, a crybaby, and gets scolded for her grades. Though, what I really love about how all this is how she's able to take comfort in, in knowing that her mother is just as imperfect, imperfect as her. And I love how this is just a lesson for her, learning how someone who was once as imperfect is as perfect as her, is also what Usagi is in the past. And it's also pretty very telling as well, because in most episodes of Sailor Moon, it focuses on the girls not only defeating members of the Dark Kingdom, but of them collecting the Silver Crystals and, find, and also their quest to find the Moon Princess. However, in Season 2, it's also with Chibi Usa obtaining her guardian powers, and with her finding her silver crystal. Where, not only this, the audience gets to see her become her own character and learn more about her powers. And honestly, as much as I didn't like her in the beginning, I never thought that I would enjoy the presence of a child character much like Chibi Usa until I got to rewatch the series again. And granted how people would often view her, it was a bit hard to try to accept her at one point, but it's kinda understandable. In the East, she is seen as one of the more most popular characters in Sailor Moon, but in the West not so much, which is understandable with how she treats Usagi. But 
with how she is viewed and understands more about how how Usagi is a perfectionist her and also learning more and more about herself she begins to grow more as a person and also takes more confidence in herself and also growing more as a person even with her only just being a kid and with her character alone it fits and Jibiusa she's just like any normal child as we see her grow she's adorable she's innocent and yeah she's a brat and with her being the child of Usagi and Mamoru one day in the future it's fascinating to see what it's like to to look after and care for your own child that you are destined to have one day in the future and it's really really intriguing to see what it's like to deal with your own future child and while it does sort of seem to detract of what of how it often influences her it does seem to detract of how this is portrayed in her character. Now, most characters would often judge of how Jibiusa would would sometimes berate Usagi based on how she acts through her character overall. But there are some qualities with Jibiusa that often would make the audience question her more times than one. She oftentimes is a bit boy crazy. Is has has a bit of love sickness when it comes to daydreaming and at one point has an electra complex when it comes to Mamoru Chiba who again has a bio, who is the biological father of her I don't know why they had this in the anime and manga but again when I was a little kid I didn't understand this when I was a little kid but I've chalked it up as being used for comedic purposes though I didn't want to go more into this because something like that is just a little bit too... Ugh. Though, rest all this aside, this really does show much more about Chibi-Usa as a character. If she always got herself into certain bad situations in Season 2 and always throwing tantrums or crying most of the time, yeah, she would be a really annoying character. However, how her role was played throughout the season really does show of her character development and how she became a vital member to the guard to the group until the end towards season two where she has to return back to her own time which was a bit heart-wrenching for for some fans of Chibiusa and although we don't get to see much of her throughout the series what we do get is really worth discussing not only is she much cuter and a little taller than her initial debut, she shows the most exciting developments to her personality. One of them is she shows that she's much more more outspoken on certain things than she was when she was a child, though much more outspoken. Whether it be belittling Usagi or trying to have her understand something that was confusing to her than when she was a little kid which really does have show some engaging conflicts and the second is when she returns back to the past she did mention that she doesn't plan to be as clumsy like Usaki but rest assured she does inherit most of her mother's traits 
especially her altruism. And she uses her kindness to help those around her. And we see that in full display many, many times when it comes to her character. Even in the dream manga, it was shown that she w- she became class president in her own grade. And the best part about, about Chibi-Usa, we don't even have to wait to see what she would look like at Usagi's age. Which is what makes it amazing. And later on in the series, we get to see what Usagi, what Chibi-Usa looks like when she's Usagi's age. Both in the original 90s anime and also in Sailor Moon Crystal. However, when she... It, when she and Usagi changed, changed ages, where Usagi is 8 and Chibi-Usa is 16, she isn't, una- she isn't able to use the, uh, cr- isn't able to use the, uh, the, uh, crystal bell, which is used to summon Pegasus. And because of that, she's unable to do anything, which is kind of sad, but it's really nice to see what she would look like if, when she's much older. One and two, we also got to see what she looked like when she's much older as well, when she's Dark Lady. But that's also in season two, when she's under the effect of an evil sort, of an evil villain who basically brainwashed her to think that nobody loves or cares about her, only because it was her birth. One, it was her birthday, and two, because of the incident where she's where she tripped and fell when she saw a frog. Yeah, that was pretty rough. But, with that aside, with Chibi-Usa and her character, I often see her as someone where, in the beginning, a surprising fact about her, Takauchi has mentioned that she was a character that at one point she didn't like. But as she continued to develop her and continued to write for and develop Chibi-Usa, she has grown fond of her, and I feel like that this is, could be the same way when it comes to the audience when it, when getting to know more and more about Chibiusa. Yeah, she does come off as annoying, and she does come off as a brat to others, but once you really go in depth with Chibiusa and you get to know a little bit more about her, you really start to see more about her character, and that she's pretty awesome. And another cute fact about her is not only does she share a birthday with Usagi, but yeah, she shares the same birthday as Usagi. It's her birthday too, which that's something I will end when it comes to talking about her. Happy birthday, little bunny. Coming in second to last place is the only Sailor Guardian not allowed to even swear, no matter what she can do. And that would be Ami Mizuno. Now, Ami Mizuno is so precious. She is super adorable. I want to protect her with every fiber of my being. But the reason I say this is because I'm not the only one. 
Now, she was solely raised by her mother after her parents divorced. She, her mother is highly intellectual and works as a doctor, while her father, on the other hand, works as a freelance artist. And though he doesn't speak to her as much, he does send postcards to her mainly on birthdays and special occasions, like holidays. And with Ami's mother being a doctor, she inspires Ami to work hard, and for a long time, Ami one day wants to become a doctor just like her, following in her footsteps. And because of this, I do want to point out that her mother isn't a bad person for it. Which makes sense as some children who look up to the parental figures who have been involved most of their life would follow in their parents' footsteps because of how much of an impact they've been in their lives. And one thing I can bring up for Ami, for her character, despite being raised by her mother, she was brought up very well. She's polite, courteous, studious, and talented in skills such as swimming, computers, and playing chess. In addition, in the anime, she's also talented in songwriting and fixing cars. One quality that I love about Ami is she never boasts about her talents. In fact, we don't see how amazing of a swimmer she is until three seasons in during a friendly swimming match against Michiru. Ami, another thing that I would love bringing up about Ami is her extremely high intellect. She's noted to have an IQ of 300 and utilizes the strength and skills to help the other guardians navigating targets and planning their scheme, their next, their next move. She is extremely determined to pursue her goal and take the initiative to advance her abilities, assisting other guardians in any way she can, on and off the battlefield, which is something I've always loved about her. Mainly, mainly in the way kind of shows of uh, the whole smart, well, the whole brains is the, is the whole cute cute factor. Now, with Ami, going back to being the more precious member of the squad, it makes sense. Her and Usagi were popular in the mid in mid ninety two. However, she saw a huge jump of popularity by that time, and by and by later on, it was shown that the reason for her popularity was due to how she was a, a perfect example for, for students in Japan. She puts her studies first, unless the world is in danger, and is extremely loyal to the people around her. Being shy and smart, she's likely to, similar to the teens and university students who who voted for her as the most popular character of the of the Sailor Moon franchise. And there are some qualities that I do want to bring up when it comes to Ami that I have to talk about because not only is she one of my all-time favorite characters, but there are some things about her that I just cannot get out of my head about her. One quality I want to point out about her that is too adorable and I can't help but gush over is her rash over love letters. I kid you not. While most fictional characters would be over the moon of having a love letter found in their locker, Ami is not the case. While others would be excited about it, she breaks out in hives. In Ami-chan's first love letter, she turns bright red and screams at the notion later to Declaring that love isn't even in her dictionary. 
The others agreed that they'd love to have a problem of receiving a love letter, but she has this some aversion to him. In the manga, her reaction is basically explained as stress, but in the anime, she basically decides to focus on academics. And another example of this that's been taken to the extreme was shown at from a spirit that from later and when she was battling against Manon, who used a love letter attack on this on a sailor guardian and throws a series of love letters at her. This surrounds her, making her temporarily imma- Im- immobile, while Bannon is draining her energy, making her focus solely on her desires instead of any uh, practical ideas. Which, again, I find this to be rather telling of how they were, of how a villain was able to use something that she is completely weak against as something that she that can make her completely immobile, which I find it to be rather telling about her, her character. Now, regarding to Usagi and Ami's first encounter, she is the first Sailor Guardian Usagi discovers. And at the beginning of the series, Ami appeared to others as as being stuck up and snooty, but in reality, she's very shy and often spends time by herself. She has a difficult time befriending others and is used to spending lunch lunch eating alone while studying. But Usagi was the first to reach out to her and discovered how friendly and sweet she is. With Ami being a very gentle person who is bit, who is more of a pacifist, she doesn't like arguments and avoids harming others whenever possible, even with her being a Sailor Guardian. Now, when it comes to the friendship with the other Guardians, she's extremely diligent, and it's something that is often a running gag that many of the others would poke fun at. But she is quick to scold the others when they slack off on her studies, mainly with mainly Rei and Usagi, who are the main culprits. And she is very, very vigilant on being the top student in her class and almost to the point of obsession and is concerned for studies and while her heart's in the right place she cares really much about her friends putting them first before academic aspirations which i've always loved about her and shows how much her heart is huge in this factor and another example of how huge her heart is would, would be in an example of that would be later on that I can explain. Though, with how she, with the example of where it could put in a factor of friends or of, of her studies, this wouldn't be examined to more than and later on in the series where after after fighting against the forces of darkness and nearly sacrificing their lives, there wouldn't be a time where any of the members of the Guardians would have the opportunity to either leave the group or be offered to to, leave, to move away until Ami was offered a scholarship to study in Germany. Now, Rei was 
the first to offer her support. And she has dreams of working hard in school to become a doctor. Now, going to Germany to study would allow her to follow her path for, with Ami. And the rest of her friends gave, have finally agreed and gave Ami their blessing. And when she leaves for the airport, she's given the ultimatum. Does she, that, does she go to pursue her dream? Or does she stay behind and continue to fight with her friends? She makes the ultimatum and turns around and continues to fight to help her friends save the, and save the world and pursue her medical career on later date. The decision alone was really something hard to pick, but that alone was something that Ami decided on her own. And this might have been strange for audiences in America, but for those in Japan, it makes perfect sense. Now, Japanese students are required to study English in school, but in the mid-90s, German was also recommended with pursuing medicine, as patient notes were written in German, so the average Japanese student couldn't read them, which was pretty telling, and it was pretty an app, a nice touch to be added into the series as well, with Ami trying learning a new language with her getting a scholarship to Germany. And not to mention, a fun fact about her, she's also fluent in that language. Well, one thing I could bring up with Ami is, the same, is she is in the same manner similar to that of Usaki. Why I say this is because of two reasons. The first is due to her kind heart for others, and being the voice of reason for other for those for others as well. Though, though shy, she tends to be vocal when she needs to be. An example of her kind and loving nature was in episode 27 in season 1, when she confronts Ryo telling him he has the capability to create his own future and create any fate he wants, even telling him that if he gives up, nothing will change. In the same manner Usagi is with her friends, and also towards strangers that she is able to help. She tells them not to give up on their dreams and not to give up on themselves, and that they have the ability to change their fate, and to change what they, their path and what they want. And another example of how she's similar to Usagi is the belief in not killing her opponents. In the English dub of the Sailor Moon anime, it's a bit more ambiguous ambiguous on whether or not they kill any of the monsters, evil spirits, or bad guys they destroy on an episodic basis. Though, when editing out the blood of flash explosions, it's a bit unknown if, of what actually happened. Though, the original anime and the manga, it's unknown of, it's a bit plain about what they, of what, if they actually did kill them when necessary. However, if Ami was willing to assist in, fight, in the fight, it didn't mean she was willing to end innocent life as, as damage. An example of this was the introduction to Hotaro. Now, Hotaro was a friend of Chibiusa and an absolute, and an absolute doll. She was once used as the messiah of silence. And Neptune and, Uran 
Sailors Neptune and Uranus wanted to kill Hotaru. In the episode Believe in Love, Ami Akainha's soldier. But she was against it and stopped them in mid-fight. And this alone caused her to persuade them to spare her. And while she was blamed for for Hotaru getting away, she thanked they thanked her for saving their lives. And that actual alone shows of how much heart that Ami has. She didn't want to see an innocent life getting killed just so that they are able to they're able to break away the darkness so that. While it's heart wrenching alone, that alone was something that she was willing to do just so she could take the blame. And that alone is still too much to bear for Ami. While she, she has that much heart comparable to that of Usagi, but not much so, it's both a blessing, but at the same time, it's also a curse. To be honest, of of the characters that I have mentioned so far in this episode, I would thought that Ami would be my favorite, because when it comes to characters in anime or manga, video games, or any franchise, I tend to be someone that does have a soft spot for flawed but endearing characters who do make a name for themselves as the series progresses. Though it would be selfish of me if I didn't save the best for dead last. dead last because she tripped several times and got lost along the way and wouldn't stop crying until someone came over and helped her get to the finish line would be the crybaby meatball-headed sailor guardian herself, Usagi Tsukino. Okay, where do I begin with this ditz here? Usagi is a hot mess. She's plagued with clumsiness. Often making mistakes and eating shit. She's habitually lovesick, fawning after boys when it's technically not a good idea. And even when she starts dating Mamoru, she still kind of falls for boys when, again, not the best idea. And speaking of Mamoru Chiba, the boy who ends up becoming her love interest later on in the series, at one point was her the big greatest bane in her existence. Not only him, but other characters bring out three unique quirks of hers. Quirk number one, she is stubborn. Quirk number two, she has quite the temper. And quirk number three, I think many of us are very familiar with this one. She's an annoyingly unbearable compulsive crybaby. Typically for being picked on, crying over the smallest thing, or being the butt of so many jokes. This girl is so dense. At one point she forgot what to say in order for her to turn it to Sailor Moon in Season 1. Who does that? Now, I don't think I've brought this up before, but 
Usagi is also a woefully poor student, earning bad grades, running late to school, and getting scolded by her teacher, her friends, and her mother all the time. And for some reason, I couldn't relate to this when I was growing up as a kid. Usagi is very loud and says really dumb things. I mean, there's many times where she would say things out loud that would get her into trouble or her friends in trouble that they would scold her many times. I mean, come on. She is a loud mouth. And last, but certainly not least, in accordance to her being a foodie, she's very susceptible to sweets. It's her passion, her weakness. Sun she orbits around, though we sometimes see her enjoying sweets on rare occasions. Though she sometimes misses her chance to have them and would get mocked whenever she doesn't get the chance to have them. We've seen this on many occasions, especially when it came to Ray mocking her when she couldn't have a piece of cake, and Chibi-Usa mocking her when she couldn't have a piece of pie because she did got poor grades. <sighs> that gets me every time. No matter how you look at it, I find it hard to believe when I was growing up that Luna thinks Usagi out of all people was the true leader for the Sailor Guardians. It's crazy to compare Usagi to the rest of her friends in her group and see how different she is to them. Everybody else is so unique and talented, while anything Usagi tries to get involved in, either she screws up at it, or gets herself hurt because of the activity she got involved in. Perfect example I can give is when she entered a wedding dress competition along with Ray. She was trying to learn how to sew a dress, but she kept pricking her hands on needles that she kept getting band-aids. Shows that she's not really good at sewing. And the most she's really good at doing is drawing, but everybody else is really skilled at something that they're naturally talented at. And besides, Usagi's hobbies mainly include sleeping, playing video games, reading manga, and eating. But that's really not much talented things that she's really good at. Little brother Shingo, on the other hand, is much bit talented than her. Shingo's better than Usagi at most things. I mean, even though he's a little bit younger than her, he's smarter, more mature, and does go out on dates, believe it or not. Usagi doesn't have a clue of what she wants to do with herself when she grows up, besides her dream of becoming a bride one day, when all her friends have actual plans and future set for themselves. Ami dreams of becoming a doctor one day. Rei has dreams of becoming a shrine priestess one day. Mako has dreams of becoming a florist or a baker one day, while Minako has dreams of becoming an idol one day. And this just begins to wonder, why is she the titular character? Although, again, the original title should have been Sailor Mars or Sailor Venus. She's obviously the the ditzy blonde goofball that everyone keeps around because she's the funny one. Then again, not really. Though, the one time when she got flat out drunk and was trying to explain why she loves Mamoru was really funny. But besides the point, 
It's not so much that they keep her around, but instead they all gravitate towards her. Which is strange when you think about it. All these cool, smart, amicable, talented, fun, alluring girls all want to spend their teenage years hanging out with this ordinary, unlucky, dorky, whiny ditz. Why? Because she's literally the greatest friend in the world that you can ever ask for. To Usagi, it never matters to her who someone is or who she is in relation to that person. According to Umino, Usagi will befriend anyone. Despite many of her flaws that she's coupled with, none of them get in the way of her like of her love of people. She's naturally a people person. Her love, enthusiasm, kindness, curiosity, and joy is infectious. It's no wonder the girls want to be around her. She impacts each of their lives so profoundly. And while they are all friends of each other, I could bet you a bottom dollar each of them would single out Usagi as their best friend. Makoto wouldn't break out of the their stereotype that surrounded her much of her life without Usagi. When Makoto first transferred to her school, the first person to reach out to her and befriend her was Usagi. This alone shows that even after they became friends, all the rumors about her diminished and students and others were able to befriend and speak to her easily because of this bunhead. At one point, after Mina left England and went back to Japan and had to face Katarina as a demon, at one point she felt she was going to go through the same heartache that she went through after lose, losing Alan again. The person who helped with healing Katarina was Usagi. That puts her on the same plane as me, as Katarina before she even joined the group. Which shows of how much she was able to move on from not only letting go of Alan, but also being able to reunite with her old friend. Now, Rei is often ostracized from others due to her supernatural abilities. Or, at times, was judged from them. And while the two often bicker with each other, and don't see eye to eye most of the time. In episode 195 of Sailor Moon Sailor Stars, Rei would off Rei told Usagi that she has to choose what would be best, and told her that she has to tell Seiya the truth that that she still that she loves Mamoru, and he has to tell the truth of her relationship with him. And she even showed her concern about what happened and why her and Mamoru haven't been talking to each other. And said that it's serious and they have to do something about it right away. And that little clip there shows how close the two are. Yeah, they would often pick up on one another and often go at each other's necks. But... Their friendship is much deeper than one can even fathom. Ray's need to open up to others and be herself would never have been met if it wasn't for Usagi reaching out and being her friend. Now, confession time. 
I only saw the first four seasons of Sailor Moon when I was a little kid. It didn't take until many years later until Viz Media got Sailor Moon and was finally able to watch all five seasons and relive the glory days of Sailor Moon and finally watch all five seasons. But I will admit, when I was a little kid and I only saw the all four seasons of Sailor Moon growing up, I honestly thought the show's resolution for Usagi for what she was to be when she grew up was her becoming a mom. Because she's a amazing at it. There was a reason she used to call for Usagi at one point, and even towards the end of season two, she called her mama. And there was Eve where it was one two moments in the entire series Usagi displays a strong maternal side. The first was in Season 2, Episode 64, she was taking care of a baby with Mamoru, and in the final season, she was taking care of Chibi Chibi. Lastly, there's Ami. Not only is she comfortable with expressing how she feels, with Usagi being her closest friend, the reason she has a voice and is more confident with, with not being afraid of voicing out her opinion it's because of the time Usagi befriended her and didn't see her as a bookworm. Ami's whole world and perspective of herself has changed for the better because of this meatball head. And they're not the only characters Usagi had made an impact on. A bulk of the show not only focuses on the girls fighting the forces of, of the darkness and searching the moon princess, but also on different individuals in each episode who fall victim to the influence of of the darkness due to their own personal struggles they're going through. It's well for often Usagi that motivates that focus and helping them in any way they can. Probably the best example of this is her relationship with Naru, her childhood best friend throughout much of the series who she helped out in different situations whether as Sailor Moon or as Usagi. And the reason I bring up Naru is because of how underrated she is as Usagi's friend. When we often always bring up Ami or Rei or Makoto or Minako, but I feel like Naru is often underrated and we have to bring her up. Now, in the episode Restore Naru's Smile, Usagi's Friendship, Usagi is helping Naru with dealing with a heartbroken heart after the death of Neferite. And her friends are trying to contact her regarding the meeting they're having, and they're frustrated that she wasn't able to attend. But... When you think about it, I can admire how Usagi is putting Naru above the concern of what the Guardians have to discuss. She cares about cheering Naru up. She's willing to put her duties on hold until her friends are happy. And we get the one episode in Sailor Moon where Usagi helps an artist who is in a creative slump and helps her with the idea for a new painting. I probably don't need to go into detail with that episode. Many fans would probably remember what I'm talking about. I do want to mention that while she is Usagi is seen as a crybaby, one quality that she does carry out throughout the entire series is her brimming posi positive positivity. She isn't the type to give up to give in once she set her mind to doing something. Once she sets her mind into something, there's no changing her mind. Which gives off the whole aesthetic that reminds you of Rose Quartz from Steven Universe. She can be told by 
mostly anyone that something that she wants to accomplish is impossible and they should give up hope. And she would simply turn to them with a smile saying everything will be okay. And she may not know for certain, but she does an amazing job motivating others and herself to, to basically work for the best and brightest outcome, which is something I have always admired when it comes to Usagi. She's someone who, while she does tend to be a bit of someone who would at times give up or doesn't want to fight or go after an enemy, she does have a sense of positive, po positivity where she does see a brighter future for not only herself, but for a, a brighter future for all. And what I find fascinating about it is, despite her growing into becoming the Queen of Crystal Tokyo later on, she does still maintain her childlike qualities. An example of this is fa her faking to be to be ill, avoiding her royal duties. Which, while I find baffling when I rewatch the series, I've noticed how many times, how many characters have changed for the better, and are able to live their lives the way they want to, and are able to be happy, all because of the determination and love of this ditzy blind crybaby. But all of this has nothing to do with the best part of her character. Why is Usagi the titular character as Sailor Moon? When you look closely at the first few episodes of Sailor Moon, they basically showcase all of Usagi's character traits, from the clumsiness to the sweets. Yet our introduction to Usagi displays one more side to her character. And if you remember from when she was on her way to school, she stopped a group of, of boys from bullying Luna, and she simply isn't able to ignore someone who's in trouble, and ha as long as she has the power to help them. And it even extends to, and she's ter, and although she would be terrified during many early fights, she's always able to show up to help. And doesn't run away when innocent people are in trouble. It extends to animals, and it has a caring side, or exists even before she woke as became a Sarah Guardian. And she isn't the type to assume that anyone has bad intentions or is truly evil. For the most part, it's it's a kindness that she even tries to extend to her enemies. And her attacks are simply focused on purifying evil, returning things to original state. Simply destroying it instead of destroying it entirely. And she tries to find some semblance of good with extreme threats. And through the series, it basically means he was shown having a bit of sympathy for Queen Beryl, knowing she was on someone else's control. Though, one thing I do love about the series is. In the beginning, she was someone who was really, really hesitant of being Sailor Moon. That at one point, she kept on whining and complaining that she doesn't want to be a girl. She doesn't want to do any of this. But as she continues on and on and more and more, we get to slowly see that Usagi does take on the role of her being a guardian. That this is something that she is destined to do. She can't turn back. This is something she has to do. And I really did like that in episode 1, the first time when she met her and faced her first enemy, she, you know what she did? She cried. Yeah, it was her was kidding. She was crying. And while 
we may take it as something that might not been the best way to take on an enemy, at least it worked. Because, yeah, that's basically the way it was done. But, when you continue watching more and more of the series, you start to slowly see of how Usagi slowly starts to get more and more immersed into his role of being a guardian, one, and two, with her role of being Sailor Moon. Also, with her, and also the other guardians, with the, with the enemies that they face down the line. Over the course of the series, Usagi and her friends face stronger and more powerful opponents from, from the darkness. And, by the final season, they were able to take on even stronger forces from, from Sailor Galaxia and much more. And by the final season, and when you begin to notice that, you begin to notice how less and less you see the debilitating traits from Usagi begin to fade. I mean, the crybaby tendencies and the whiningness begin to fade. She's not obsessing over sweets as much. She isn't screwing up as she used to. She says more insightful things. Becoming a great mother. Becoming a better leader. We watch Usagi grow into a strong and capable leader. By the end of the series, she's the one who faces Sailor Galaxia, changes her heart, and saves the world from her destruction. In episode 200, Light of Hope, the final battle for the galaxy, she defeats the chaos that has corrupted Galaxia, restoring the light of hope within her, and fulfill every magical girl trope. And even fulfilling every magical trope at once with doing all of this. And while she shows her, her strength in this fight, she was able to accomplish all of this as well. Which is something I've always admired about Isaki. Even at the end, we even see how, towards the end, Usaki is still the same person that we've known and loved to this day. Even from the beginning, all the way to the end. It's almost like we were experiencing everything with a friend. From learning how she is a klutz and a crybaby, and she still is to this day. But Usagi, while she may be one that is a bit of a klutz, yeah, but at the same time, she does have the biggest strength of all, and that is her loving and kind heart, and her being pure, which is something that she can carry on with her for as long as she reigns. And in celebration of her birthday, Usagi will always carry out these traits that make her very special. She will always be special. She will always be loved. And she will always be the, the soldier of love. And in the name of the moon, I say, Happy birthday, Usagi. And happy birthday, Chibi Usan. In celebration of Sailor Moon, and in celebration of Sailor Moon Cosmos, this is the end of six reasons to watch Sailor Moon.
that was six reasons to watch Sailor Moon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you share this around on social media platforms that you often share, listen to this episode on. Whether it be on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever you often listen to this episode on. Also, let me know in a questionnaire of any topics you want me to cover in the future episode as well. I'll also be posting a poll at the end of the episode of who your favorite Sailor Guardian is as well. And for those of you who have stuck around towards the entirety of the episode, thank you so much for listening. And as always, whether or not you believe in the term nerd or not, keep loving what makes you, you, and stay awesome. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'll see you next time for a brain episode. Later!